Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and we have a special Holy Week episode today. It is the Monday of Holy Week, at least when this podcast is dropping. I don't know when you're listening to it. But um, we're featuring today a conversation about our online Stations of the Cross installation. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Uh, But that online installation features 14 paintings from Laura James, an artist that we celebrated during Black History Month, as well as a liturgy curated by the Reverend Dr. W. David O. Taylor. David, I want to ask you some questions eventually about all of the initials that are in your name. Uh, But (laughs) David is our scholar in residence for arts, media, and culture. Both Laura and David are here with me on the podcast today to talk a little bit more about the Stations of the Cross and liturgy and art, and we'll see what else comes up. Laura and David, welcome to the C4SO podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, and welcome back, David. We have had David on before. Uh, Laura, you are a working artist. You live in the Bronx, is that right? Yes, in the Bronx, New York. In the Bronx, New York. Working artist, you've got a lot going on. You were just talking before we hit record about a project you're working on now. What else do people need to know about you? Fill out your bio a little bit for our listeners. Um, well, I, I'm a self-taught artist. I actually just hmm. sort of fell into painting. Um, and I guess it's actually the story of how I came to be painting religious art. So maybe mm. that's a good a good place to start, um, if you don't mind. <laughs> no, go ahead. Let's let's, okay. let's dive right in. Yeah. So I grew up going to church with my family. We went to a brethren church, which was. Uh, I always pause when I say this. It's so it's so it's like okay. I'm sorry. It was a little boring. Let's just say, you know, we didn't have music. We didn't have yeah, yeah, yeah. pictures. Yeah, you you right. know, we didn't, um, we weren't supposed to image, you know, uh, biblical, you oh, know, the okay, biblical yeah. um, images. But on the other hand, you know, we had children's Bibles. So as children, we would sit there looking through these Bibles and they always had these really fantastic pictures, you know, hmm. very like fantastical for little kids. And then at home, we had the big book of children's stories, which, you know, I actually still have it. And I was looking through it recently, but, um, you know, the Jesus was always really white. He was really white. He was really blonde Mm. and he had really blue eyes and it was, and he really stood (laughs) out because nobody else was like that, you know, not the, not the other people, just, he was the only one. And, you know, and the black people, they did not look so good. You know, I, I usually show (laughs) these pictures in my, in a PowerPoint that I do when I, you know, talk about my work because it's, it's just so obvious, you know, it's so very obvious, but as a little kid, you know, I, I I know that I didn't really, it didn't really register for me, but you know, on the other hand, I always sort of felt sort of like outside of this whole thing because, Mm. you know, these pictures, it was, it was there, you know, it was just, this isn't my world. This doesn't, this is not my world. world. This actually doesn't look like a real world at all, actually, you know? So Mm. it was sort of actually very interesting that it was, you know, there are hard concepts to um, grasp as it is, 
with religion, but then to see these pictures, it's sort of like, what, you know, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so when I was like 18 or 19 years old, I was just walking around my neighborhood in Brooklyn and I saw a book in the window of the store and it was called Ethiopian Magic Scrolls. And hmm. the, on the cover, there were these black angels and everything was outlined with black lines. And, you know, I hadn't really been paint. I hadn't painted then. I was like taking photos and I, I was I liked art. But I saw it and I was like, oh, I think I could paint that, you know, because it looked sort of easy. Like there were these black lines. Everything was just it was very colorful. And I, I bought the book and I went home and I started to sort of copy, you know, the different images. And I didn't feel bad because I read in there that the laymen would actually copy these different magical scrolls and they would, you know, from, you know, like everybody would do it. So I didn't feel bad yeah. that I was like copying somebody's work. But very early on, I was able to, um, you know, sort of do my own thing. And I would... Um, illustrate Bible stories and then um, some Ethiopian Christian art stories and just um, I I like to tell stories. I like stories. I like to illustrate stories. So, you know, the Bible is full of stories and it was very easy for me to find a lot of things to paint, (laughs) you know, using Bible stories. So that's how I fell into that. I don't remember your question, but I hope I know. Okay. Um, Yes, uh, Laura, I think that's great as far as an introduction goes, and that uh, does encapsulate uh, a lot of, um, it it feels like you can see, if you've ever seen that uh, Ethiopian Christian art, um, you can see a lot of that influence in, um, at least I feel like I can see a lot of that influence in the Stations of the Cross that you uh, put together. Um, so those outlined shapes and definitely very, uh, that's definitely my inspiration. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I'm, you know, people say, Oh, it looks sort of like Ethiopian Christian art. And I'm like, yeah, I mm-hmm. hope so. Cause that's, you know, that <laughs> is the inspiration 100%. And I, I think that, you know, besides the imagery, what's different is that with my work, I illustrate more of the stories in the Bible, let's say, you know, where the, the tradition of Ethiopia is like, you know, there are crucifixions, there's very Jesus, there are just so many stories that are typically illustrated, but I've sort mm-hmm. of just done all kinds of things, even different religions at this point, you know, different religious um, um, sacred um, traditions I've illustrated in that style. So mm-hmm. it is definitely my intention for it to be reminiscent of the Ethiopian yeah. Christian art style. So Wonderful. Um, and then uh, the other thing I heard you say in there too was that um, the, the, the white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus in the, in the kids' storybook Bibles, um, that, like this is another reason that this Ethiopian art was, was helpful and important for you is that you saw black people represented in the biblical story. And that uh, has also then become an important part of your work. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can say a little bit more about that. Well, yes, definitely. Um, you know, I, I've been really, you know, very happy to have people tell me, you know, to have uh, black people and actually all kinds of people, you know, mm-hmm. tell me that, you know, how great it is to see other other people represented in these stories. I mean, yes. you know, we're, we're, this is a great big world with a whole bunch of shades of people, you know, why, mm-hmm. why do we have like blonde Jesus, you know, yeah. <laughs> or Jesus yeah. isn't always blonde and not to men. Okay. So I'm, I'm to- I totally believe that people should be able to image Christ in their own 
you know, as themselves, which is, I mm -hmm. think it's in the Bible somewhere, you know, it's <laughs> like, so if he's Asian, if he's black, if he's white, you know, that's all good. Yeah. But he doesn't always yeah. have to be white, you know, and he probably yeah. didn't yeah. have blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, I, I, I don't, right. you know, I don't, I don't really know what Jesus looked like, you know, but yeah. I bet he didn't, you know. Anyway, yeah. you know, you know what he, I'm saying. He wasn't born in Europe or Norway, exactly. so you know he probably, yeah, he, he probably looked, uh, probably but it, looked a lot browner, so. right? But if the people in Norway painted that way, that's fine, you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 That. Um, that's great. That's great, Laura. I appreciate hearing a little bit about that and about your work. Um, David, uh, I wonder if we uh, move over to you. Um, you wrote the liturgy for this Stations of the Cross. Um, first of all, like, what was uh, what was your first impression of uh, of the paintings <laughs> when you saw them? I don't know if you can give us not like a rating. Uh, obviously, they're they're know. beautiful, they're wonderful. But I I just wonder what struck you about them. Um, if uh, if you could make any comments about the paintings. Yeah, I mean, you know, the short answer is I love them. I love mm -hmm. Laura's work. Laura and I right. were at uh, the Lady Lodge Retreat Center a couple of years ago oh, uh, for a retreat that brought together mothers and artists. That is, hmm. people who are both mothers and artists and oh. uh, exploring that twin vocation and the challenge of being a mother and an artist together. So I hmm. could see and meet Laura at that point. And I think one of the things that I love about your work, Laura, uh, which I think is especially helpful for us as Christians is in, in your representations, not just of Jesus, but of these stories in the Gospels and, and elsewhere in, in the Bible. I think what I experience is both the familiarity of, let's say, Jesus and these characters, but also the strangeness and the fantasticalness. Well, mm. let's just focus on Jesus. <laughs> because there is something... <clears throat> Inasmuch as he is incarnate and enfleshed and born, uh, you know, in, in a family, in a particular place on planet Earth, a particular time, there's a kinship with us as human beings. And so there's mm -hmm. that sense in mm -hmm. which we are meant to experience the familiarity of God in the person of Jesus, but at the same time, um, not to domesticate him yeah. in any way, which is, yeah. I think, always the temptation. Uh, and, the, and the white blonde Jesus used exclusively is, is a form of domesticating, uh, mastering yes. um, Jesus in this sense. But I love your work that has this fantasticalness. So I, I don't think it's just that it's, for me, that it's sort of in this style of Ethiopian art historical tradition or, you know, black bodies. I think all those are, are central to my experience of your work. But there is this fantasticalness to it that uh, mm. catches my attention and that causes me to see uh, the story of Jesus in, in a fresh light. And, and I, I feel the same thing hmm. when I look at your, you know, Stations of the Cross. Um, so I love that. And I guess it makes me think of the history of the Stations of the Cross. It goes back to the fourth century when you would have pilgrims go to Jerusalem, to the Holy Land, and they wanted to walk with their bodies, with their feet, and see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and touch with their hands exactly where Jesus went, mm -hmm. uh, at, because they felt that there was a strange power, you know, yeah. in Anglican terms, a sacramentality, you know, yeah. to it, a fantasticalness that if you could get close to it, you would encounter something extraordinary. Mm. 
And mm-hmm. so I like how your work sort of captures that kind of part of the history of the stations. Well, can I just say that it's interesting that you mentioned the pilgrim pilgrimages in the fourth century, because Ethiopia actually adopted Christianity in the fourth century from <laughs> with pilgrims coming to Ethiopia, as a matter right. of fact. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we highlight the specific ministry that we're praying for this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week, we're praying for Eucharist Church in San Francisco, California, led by the Reverend Ryan Jones, who has joined us here to share briefly about what's going on right now and how we can pray specifically for them. Ryan, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Um, what's uh, one thing that you're encouraged by right now happening at the church? Well, I would say just considering the the year that we've had, that in spite of the year being, you know, fairly difficult and restrictive and not being able to gather in one place for more than a year now, uh, mm. there's a fairly vibrant life in our church. Um, mm. And we sense that there is a lot of good happening. We have a lot of ministry activity happening. It's just difficult to worship together because of the, yeah. the restrictions. We have new people coming to our community right now, just sort of surprising to me. I'm like, how are they finding us? And why are they joining yeah. us when we yeah. have a Zoom service or whatever else? But yeah. uh, we're grateful for that. And I think one thing overall that we've seen is just that there is a like a deeper commitment um, to, to praying um, like the daily office uh, together. Mm-hmm. We have a morning mm-hmm. prayer community where we have something like, 20 to 40 people join us every morning for morning prayer, which is just phenomenal. Um, We actually couldn't even imagine that before this. So that's That's a a really great gift to us. And then I'd say one other thing that I'm really encouraged about is just that we have a great staff team and the Mm. team has been united and we worked really hard this year and there's a good spirit and uh, it's hard to put a value on that, but it's just really wonderful to be part of that. Well, that's lovely. Uh, What's the challenge that you all are facing right now? I would say that one particular challenge that stands out to me is caring well for families with small children Mm. um, or even children who are like middle school age that they honestly have like no interest in the Zoom worship and our, what we call our table groups, our community groups haven't been able to meet in person either. And Mm -hmm. um, just what we've been doing hasn't been working very well for them. So we did an outdoor church service for the first time um, a couple weeks back and it was uh, it was awesome because it was mm. like the kids were back and yeah, yeah. they loved it and they were excited to be together. And so one challenge we have right now is we're trying to find an outdoor location for an Easter service. And it's actually mm-hmm. more challenging than it might seem uh, in, in San Francisco. It's just very difficult and in the surrounding yeah. areas. So we have a place for Palm Sunday and uh, we're going to have um, do a lot of activity during Holy Week, which we're excited about. But then Easter is the key one we're looking for actually right now. Yeah. All right. Well, that probably leads into how we can pray for you, but how besides yeah. uh, praying for a location for Easter, uh, how can we be in prayer for Eucharist Church? Yeah, I think um, uh, prayer for this upcoming Holy Week, It's mm. uh, we, we always kind of dive in 110% and, mm. and we're going to do the same thing again this year. And so we want it to be a, a unifying experience after a year in which we've been kind of kept separate and atomized into our own little homes and, and lives. And so it's a really important unifying moment. I would also mm. say that just um, uh, 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 like decisions about a facility later this year are important for us as well. And then um, overall, just a stronger, clearer um, sense of 
of how the centrality of Christ holds us together in the midst of so much polarization, so much plurality, so much confusion, actually, in our, in our mm. culture. So a solidarity in Christ would be kind of a maybe a third thing there. Yeah, yeah. Well, brilliant. Thanks for sharing all that, and thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, it's good to be with you. Thanks for your yeah. prayers. Sure. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Eucharist Church or to contribute to their work, check out the link in the show notes. We'll talk to you next time, Ryan. Hey everyone, welcome uh, again to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Um, today we're going to be doing uh, kind of a repeat, uh, a rerun uh, almost, um, because last week we I, I uh, talked about uh, Trinity on the Border, um, led by the Reverend Michael Jarrett, um, but uh, we weren't able to record an interview um, because the timing didn't quite work out, but uh, we were able to eventually uh, get on the same page, and so I thought it would be fun actually to hear... Um, from Michael, uh, a little bit about Trinity on the border and what is going on um, there right now. So, Michael, welcome to the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, Trinity on the border. You, you guys are in South Texas, yes? We are. We're in. We're even south of what they call South Texas. We're in the Rio Grande Valley, right on the border. Okay, right on the border. Uh, thus, the name Trinity on the border. Indeed. Um, and you guys provide healthcare, resettlement assistance, pastoral care, discipleship, Eucharistic worship for asylum seekers, refugees, deaf persons, and impoverished communities down there. Yes, that's uh, a, a lot of what we do. We, yeah. we have a lot of things going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was struck by that. Um, so, as you um, uh, think about kind of where you're at uh, with the ministry right now, what's something you're encouraged by? Well, one of the things we've been encouraged by is just how quickly our ministry has grown and people have come alongside that. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, in, in summer of 2018, the ministry was just my wife and me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now we have four staff people, technically five, one's in, one's on, uh, in language school and um, for staff people, we have a, a, an auxiliary staff person, which is a new way that people are able to do short-term missions with us. Hmm. We have six teachers at the school. Hmm. Um, it's uh, you know, there's probably eleven or twelve people that I'm responsible for on just yeah. the staff side. And, it, and at that time, we didn't, we weren't worshiping in 2018 regularly. We just had spot-off services here and there, and okay. now we have regular Sunday services and just grown incredibly and um, hmm. it's and people are wanting to be behind it and uh, support it and participate and that's been wonderful that's great how about something that uh, you feel challenged by right now the same thing <laughs> the same thing um, the that, growth yeah. that sort of growth <laughs> in less than three years is uh has been tremendous uh uh re- requiring my time when, when we moved down here in mm. in late 2015 my wife and i both moved here by vocationally. So we were supporting okay. ourselves partly to be here. Yeah. And, um, and we still, we still are by vocational. So I'm trying to run that ministry that you described, plus some other things that, uh, and, uh within that the ministry's doing with all those staff. And su- supposedly I'm supposed to be doing that part time. <laughs> <But> that <laughs> yeah. Doesn't actually happen. Um, mm. but you know, one of the encouraging things is we, we had a, we weren't able to meet last week, you and I, because, we had a foundation that was down here that was looking to come alongside mm. of us and help us to find some funding for, to bring mm. in some 
people for help with operations or a person okay. to help with operations. And hopefully that'll take uh, yeah. a, a lot of, but you know, the ebb and flow of immigration changes our ministry tremendously from month to month and even yeah. uh, half year to half year. So having someone mm. to help with operations, it would be a huge uh, uh, burden off my back. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Um, well, uh, it may lead into that third question then. How can we pray for you? That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, you know, that, 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 Foundation, H.G. Uh, Clay out of Alabama, they spent the whole week with us learning about it, and we got word last night that they are going to come alongside us and support oh, us. That's wonderful. So the prayer now is that the Lord would would send us the right person to, to be in that position. It is yeah. a bit of a unique space down here in that mm. we are in America, and 95% of what we do— is in the U.S. We do cross the border to do things. Um, the, our missionary curate goes over regularly to Mexico. I go over regularly to a different part of Mexico. But, um, but you know, it, it, you don't move down here and then it doesn't work out and you just get another job in town doing something else. Uh, you know, so it, <laughs> Not a booming it, 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 is yeah. a, it feels much more like a, a, a foreign missions for that reason. Yeah, that well. if you come here, we, we we want to make sure that it's a good fit for your right. skills as well yeah. as just the ethos of the team. Yeah. And um, so the prayers would be that we've got a lot of things in place. We've got a lot of plates <clears throat> spinning and that the mm. Lord would send us the right person to kind of be a manager of those operations and help, help me Great. manage those things. All right. Well, it's great news that you got the funding, and we'll uh, we'll be in prayer for the right person. I'm glad we we're able to do this interview. Absolutely. And I'm glad uh, I'm glad for the reason that we couldn't do it last week. So. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> That's really good. Uh, well, Michael, thanks for joining us today uh, on the for podcast. Me. Yeah, uh, listeners, if you'd like to find out more about Trinity on the Border or to contribute to their work, uh, just check out the link in the show notes. Michael, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. God bless. Take care. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the Stations of the Cross as a prayer exercise. Um, David, maybe we'll start with you. Like, what's, what's your history with this? Did you grow up doing this? Uh, have you done it for a long time? Uh, you know, like, do you find it meaningful? Do you do it every year? I'm just wondering what your history is with this specific prayer practice. I did not grow up with the Stations. I grew up in the non-denom Bible church, Dallas Theological Seminary world. Okay. Many things that were good about that, but mm-hmm. uh, there was no sense of liturgy or sacramentality or the arts uh, playing a central role. Uh, In seminary, when I was at Regent College, I began attending an Anglican church and was confirmed in the Anglican Church of Canada, but then uh, moved from Vancouver, British Columbia, down to Austin, Texas to become a pastor at a small non-denom church that had an extraordinary number of artists in the community. And that was 2001, and a couple years later, 2003, uh, well, in 2002, I began to think to myself, how could I help our congregation enter more deeply into the season of Lent? And the church mm-hmm. was non, non-oriented to liturgical calendar, church calendar, 
Um, so this was a completely new thing to mm. follow the rhythms of, yeah. of the liturgical calendar. But they're open and willing mm. and, 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 and happy to take a risk. So I invited 14 professional artists from around the state of Texas, each to interpret one of the Stations of the Cross. And uh, it, was, it was a diversity of style, media, mm. uh, representation, uh, denominational background. We had Baptist and Methodist and Lutheran and Episcopalian and, and Eastern Orthodox Catholic. And, uh, and then I had some wonderful folks in the congregation who were capable of helping me write a liturgy because we wanted the congregation not only to see these things throughout the seven weeks of Lent, but to have a, a, a concrete resource to help them enter more deeply so that it wouldn't just be an aesthetic experience mm-hmm. um, or a super, superficial experience um, of the images, but something that they could pray themselves into. Mm. And so a, a, a friend in particular created this resource. We were together to kind of produce it in the end. And so it was a booklet that we okay. would put in the foyer and um, people could come at any time of the week, the doors were open, and it was completely fascinating and wonderful that throughout the season of Lent, we would the word started getting around uh, churches mm-hmm. in Austin, and we had lots mm-hmm. of Catholics come mm-hmm. uh, to our little non-denom church and grab <laughs> one of the booklets and walk the stations, wow. you know, liturgy yeah. or ritual, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the new stations heard about it, and they did a piece on it because they just thought, this is super weird. This non-denominational charismatic church is getting super sacramental. <laughs> yeah. And back uh, in, it was, back in it was a really deeply satisfying was, yeah. Yeah, experience yeah. to go through Lent with the community. So ever yeah. since then, yeah. it's, it's not something that I've been able to do on a regular basis because um, ideally, uh, the ideal experience of a stations is something that you do kinesthetically, you do kinetically, you actually yes. walk it. Yes. Um, so a digital form, I think, is immensely helpful during a pandemic and helpful <laughs> right. if you don't have access to it. Yeah. But ideally, and this really goes back to the Franciscan um, tradition, because they really popularize uh, the practice of uh, creating these stopping points to mirror yes. Yes. The, um, you know, the experience that you would have in the Holy Land. And then, you know, the official Catholic Church said, hey, all churches should do these kinds of yeah. things yeah. in their churches. Um, so, you know, we can't do that with the digital one. But I think there are little ways, you know, that we yeah. could try to replicate, you know, that embodied quality of it. So, mm. yeah, that's my history. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I want to get back to that, David. Um, when we get back to just practically how people can walk through this Um you know, used to, I mean, one of the things, one of the names for this, I mean, some people call it Stations of the Cross, but the way of the cross, mm-hmm. right, is is kind of gets to that kinesthetic walking, you know, there's a there's a pilgrimage almost yeah. idea uh, inherent in it. And so I'd love to get back to that. Um, so if, if you can put a pin in that, some ideas uh, to help people uh, do this here in a little bit, I want to end with that. But Laura, I'd like to hear from you, like what, growing up in a brethren church, you probably didn't have much experience with the Stations of the Cross, but where did you <laughs> yeah. come into contact with uh, the stations, you know, what, what prompted you to, to do these paintings? Okay. So, um, actually the, the first time I ever really heard about the stations was when, a uh, nativity, um, Roman Catholic church in Los Angeles, they asked, they commissioned me to make stations for their church. Oh, yeah. It's like okay. in a predominantly black neighborhood in South LA. And, um, mm-hmm. 
I didn't really know about it. And I researched, I was like, oh, wow. You know, and, and like I said, I like to paint stories. It's like 14 of them, you know, in yeah, order. Yeah, I was like, yeah. this is great. Yeah. yeah so um, <laughs> I did that. And then, you know, and I actually, I guess I started to notice them more in churches, you know, Catholic churches yeah. in particular. I like to go into yeah. churches and look around. So mm -hmm. I, um, I, I started to notice them and I wanted to do another set, you know. So I actually, I just, I, I figured that maybe I could, you know, get someone else to want a set. And I just made a painting of all of them in a row, which is the, mm -hmm. what you guys have. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's one painting with just the different scenes. And then actually several years later, I was able to make individual paintings for a church in Haiti um, mm -hmm. as part of a, um, an initiative that we did to uh, get stations to a church that they actually had like one of these pamphlets that you mentioned, like they had, they ripped the pages of, they ripped the pages out for each station and put them up in the church because they couldn't afford stations. So oh, wow. we, um, you know, I was able to make a set for them and two sets of prints for other, two other churches in Haiti, because as you know, um, every Catholic church is supposed to have the 14 stations. So, um, mm. yeah, I wasn't really familiar, but I, I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like yes. them. And I would love to, I'd love to just, you know, cause you can do them in so many ways, you know, I think it's great. This, uh, um, um, the different, um, David, you say that you had, you commissioned um, 14 different artists to do that. That must've been great. I would love to see that if that's somewhere. It is somewhere. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. Um, why don't, uh, why don't we end with this? We'll come back to you, David. Um, you know, this, this, uh, this is an online installation, you know, so to speak of, uh, Stations of the Cross, which, um, obviously is not ideal, as you mentioned. Um, it's, uh, I think <laughs> a lot of churches, uh, have been wrestling with, uh, some less than ideal, uh, conditions for about a year since this pandemic started, obviously. Um, but what are, you know, besides just, I mean, individuals can obviously go, we put a link in the show notes here, but individuals can go and pray through this liturgy digitally. Um, but what are some other ways that churches or individuals um, can can pray through this or use this um, during Holy Week? Uh, and then maybe, you know, some of the ideas that you have about how to introduce the kinesthetic element uh, mm. into this when, you know, when it is, you know, just a digital format here. Right. I mean, I think it's, it's helpful to understand the original intention of the stations, liturgy mm -hmm. stations, ritual, historically, and now that it's practiced globally. I think the two main objectives are to identify with the passion of Jesus and to imitate or participate mm -hmm. in the passion of Jesus and if you think about it, you know, about your life and your, what it means to follow Jesus, you realize that the identification and the imitation of Jesus is a holy, holy, fully orbed thing. Like it encompasses not just your thinking, not just your feeling, not just your heart, but your body and your relationship and your work. And I think that's one of the genius of the stations is it is, it is attempting to represent the totality of our life are rendered through this narrative of the passion of Christ. So what does it mean for us individually and communally to have this kind of experience that would bear fruit? So we're not just cogitating, reading mm -hmm. stories in the Bible or other inspiring stories. We're doing things together. 
So when it comes to how we might use you know, this digital resource, which I hope thousands of people do, because I think Laura's work uh, re- rewards repeated you know, mm-hmm. viewing and mm-hmm. meditation and contemplation, mm-hmm. I-, I think there are two things that uh, people could do individually and, and communally, like small groups maybe, okay. of one sort or another. One is to, well, let me actually say three things. One is just to go through the thing straightforward. You know, you look at the picture, mm-hmm. and then you do the ri- liturgy, which is very brief, scripture, little prayer, and you keep going. That, mm-hmm. I think, is one thing. That, I would say, is the most minimal version. That is, <clears throat> you can do that, mm-hmm. and I think it will bear some fruit, but I think it's very modest fruit. Okay. Better fruit is maybe doing it either a second time or doing it um, once through where you allow yourself to pause after each station. Mm -hmm. And after each station, you could do two things together as a community, which is, I I think, why it just would work better with at least two people doing it. Um, One thing you can do is ask the question, what does this image uh, that Laura has made, what does it make you think? What does it make Mm -hmm. you feel? What does it make you imagine? How does it help you understand this part of the passion of Jesus? So have an mm-hmm. interaction with the artwork. Um, mm-hmm. Let there be a mm-hmm. conversation, which is something you can do with kids as well. I mean, kids, I think, would love this kind of stuff. And then the second thing you could do, either at the same time or maybe a, a, another round through, is invite each other to offer a personal reflection. So, you know, um, Jesus is condemned. Jesus takes his cross, Jesus falls a first time, a second time, a third time. He meets his mother, but neither his mother nor he can rescue the other, right? Mm. So with that station, share with one another, have you had experiences where you have wanted to rescue somebody, wanted to help somebody, but were were powerless or helpless? Mm. How did that Mm. make you feel? How does that help you identify with Mary, like a fellow saint? How does it maybe help you identify with Jesus, who had all the power in the world, but couldn't rescue his mother from pain? Um, And so really to have that sense of a back and forth. So the liturgy is serving you, um, not the other way around, as it were, but that you're really letting it kind of soak into yourself, your own reflection, your own ways that you're maybe struggling in your relationship with God or struggling with your faith or stuff in the world. That, I think, to me, is the ideal. In a sense, again, it goes back to the original, very embodied. You're walking through Jerusalem. You're Mm -hmm. going through this. you got people. It's not holy silence. Lots of stuff is happening. People are chatting, you know, between stations. Um, So it's a very um, active, uh, engaged. um, So to summarize... If it's possible for you with others to interact with the artwork, I think that will bear good fruit. And if you allow yourself to share with one another, you know, testimonies, responses, reflections, I think that will enable you to go even more deeply. Mm. Um, so the goal isn't to get to the end and to say, I did it. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that's kind of pointless. Right. The goal is actually to go through it in a way that yeah. your whole self all your thoughts, all your feelings, all your imagination, all your will, yeah. all your relationships, all your hopes and dreams and struggles mm-hmm. and foibles and good things gets kind of soaked, you know, mm-hmm. through the, the narrative 
and the pilgrimage of Jesus's passion. So when you get to the end of it, it's kind of like you got to the end of a marathon. Like you did it. You had that sense of satisfaction, but you're a little bit tired. Like you actually worked, you know, you worked out, but it is kind of a deeply satisfying thing. And I think it's even more satisfying if you do it with others. And then you say, wow, you know, I got to know Jesus, but I got to know Mm -hmm. you. I kind of got to know myself a little bit better. So I I think to me, that would be the ideal, which we may not be able to do in every instance, but maybe we can aspire to it. Yeah, well, that's great. That gives me some ideas uh, for how we uh, do this together as a church um, over Holy Week uh, at my parish. So I appreciate that. Thanks. Um, Laura, we'll give you the final word. Is there anything else that you would like for people to know about these paintings in particular? Um, anything that you wanted to say um, or that people should know about Stations of the Cross? Go ahead. Well, um, just in general, I'd like to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I was really I'm pleased to work with your um, uh, your community with yeah. the Black Lives and, you know, during um, Black History Month in mm-hmm. February, you had some of my art and then you know, subsequently they asked if they could use these stations. So, um, you know, I've gotten so much great feedback from a lot of Anglicans lately. (laughs) So that's been very nice. And, um, you know, just across the board, I'm very, I'm thankful. So uh, I was really happy. And um, I don't remember what it's called, but, you know, the uh, the practice that you all had with looking at the art and then reflecting yeah. on it. Vizia you know, Divina. Exactly. Yes. It was yep. so interesting, just yeah. the idea of that. So yes. um, I'm just really honored and thankful that you using my work in this way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been great, Laura. We've, we've done a couple of those. We, we've been having a Lenten morning prayer online on Wednesdays uh, in the morning. And for a couple of those, we've, we've, we've done... Visio Divina uh, with your artwork. And so I've been, it's great to get to know you a little bit. Um, I'm glad that our listeners can hear from you uh, a little bit because I knew, I do know a lot of them have been uh, blessed um, this Lent through the the artwork. So, yeah. Um, All right. Well, we'll let you get back. I know that we interrupted your work. (laughs) You're a working artist. Yes, um, a working artist. Yes. And so uh, we'll let you get back to that. Um, listeners, I would recommend visiting laurajamesart.com to see more of her work. Um, and I also recommend visiting wdavidotaylor.com to get connected to his books and collects. Real quick, David, what's what's the deal with all the, is, is the are those, did you make up those half of those initials or are those really your name? <laughs> okay, I'm going to tell you the initial thing, but let me tell you okay. the more important thing. Okay. That right. If you can, you should patronize uh-huh. Laura James. Individually or as a community, uh, I'm assuming yes. Laura that your work could be bought, like oh sure, copy, yeah. digital that, copies that or great. original copies. Yeah, so I would be remiss not to say, as a former pastor of the artist, uh, oh, yes. buy support Ooh. Laura's work. Yes, that will be a form of blessing her. So please, oh wow, have, that's wonderful. Resources do it. I didn't even no, ask him to do that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. To the lesser uh, question, uh, yeah, I am named after my two grandfathers, William on oh. one side and Orlando on the other. Very good. But you go by David. So, okay. All right. Well, good. Uh, wonderful to have you both. Um, uh, thank you I, so much for inviting me. Yes. And we would uh, welcome any church or individual to walk through that virtual Stations of the Cross as part of your Holy Week celebrations. If you do want to use the paintings in a print capacity, as David was saying, um, you do. There's, uh, there is a further licensing 
uh, option that you would need to do. And uh, so you can email communications at c4so.org for those options, um, or uh, feel free to uh, to patronize uh, Laura James directly, and if you like any of that art. So, all right, I think that's it, folks. We'll see you next time. And uh, David, Laura, thanks again for joining Thank me you. today. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.